Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series, the number one podcast for brain injury and concussion resources. I am Amy Zellmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today I'll be talking about malformation, why a bad thing may be the best thing, with Paul McMonagle. If you're enjoying this podcast series, please consider supporting it through buymeacoffee.com slash Z. Hello, I'm Amy Zalmer, and you're listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury, one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not know who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I'm a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, Thrive Global, and the Good Men Project, and author of Life with a Traumatic Brain Injury, Finding the Road Back to Normal, available on Amazon. Additionally, I'm editor-in-chief of the Brain Health Magazine, and you can grab your free digital subscription at thebrainhealthmagazine.com. You can learn more about me and the podcast at facesoftbi.com. And you can follow me on Instagram at Amy Zellmer. And I invite you to join my private Facebook group, Amy's TBI Tribe, to connect with other survivors, caregivers, and loved ones. Today's guest is Paul McMonagle, and he is a 42-year-old married with children, an avid dog lover, and a four-time brain injury survivor. He wrote a book in 2021 entitled Malformation. When bad things happen to the right kind of people. Now he's living life and watching his family enjoy living their lives to the fullest. Welcome to the podcast, Paul. So happy to have you here. Thank you. I appreciate it. So let's start by having you just share, you know, in your bio, you mentioned that you're a four time brain injury survivor. Um, so maybe sharing with us. Um, how those four brain came about over the years. Right. Well, um, and thank you for having me, Amy. Uh, when I was in uh, a senior in high school, I didn't have the first clue of what a AVM or what a brain injury was. I was going to Auburn. I was a successful business owner, and I was just living life. Uh, then about two weeks before finals, uh, my senior or my uh, freshman year at college, I had this tremendous headache, and I didn't know what it was. I was in my uh, up in my girlfriend's dorm, and all of a sudden I stood up, passed out, and threw up. And then that started me down the road of living with an AVM, an arteriovenous malformation, and basically all it was. These leaky blood vessels in the brain, it ruptured, and then generally 50% of the people die right there. And I've had four of them. And and I want to be clear, so you were, what, about 19-ish at the time? I was 18 at the time and turned 19 in the hospital. Yeah. So, you know, I just want to kind of point that out because people often think an AVM is older people um, and it truly really right. can happen to any age because it is it's just a malformation in your veins um, in your brain right. um, so I wanted to just 
point that that out. So go ahead, continue. Yeah, well, um, I rehabbed, and I had to relearn how to walk, talk, read, and write. And, I mean, I've got listed here, I've got a paperwork that's got a listing of all my times I've been in the hospital. I've lost my gallbladder, my appendix, my small intestine. I've had a shunt revision, which is the uh, like a release valve in your brain. I've had that replaced with a new programmable shunt. Um, it's it has been a every year it seems a different malady that has come as a result of this initial bleed uh, from the AVM rupturing. But um, having said that, I'm so glad that it happened because if it hadn't have happened, I never would have probably met my wife. We never would have had children. I never would have had the opportunity to write the book, uh, Malformation, and I never would have had the opportunity to meet so many awesome people who really want to get the word out for brain-injured persons because this is something that nobody is talking about, but it's so important because one in 50 people actually has an AVM out of the general population. Wow. And I, I have a question. So do doctors think that, like you said, you had your appendix and your gallbladder and your small intestines removed, do they think there's a correlation to your AVM or not necessarily? Right. Um, well, the, the, for, and I'll just use uh, the small intestines, for instance. That was actually a complication of a surgery prior where they had put the shunt in, the drainage shunt, mm-hmm. the, mm-hmm. my small intestines had grown around the shunt and actually produced or, or caused it to get kinked up. And so they went in to get this part of the small intestines removed, and then they found further, uh, I guess, uh, an incorrectly formed appendix. So they went ahead and they took that out. And honestly, I can't even explain all of the issues that they found, but uh, through many times, many doctors and many knife cuts, I've been uh, blessed because I'm still alive, and I know that there's many, unfortunately, who do not survive one brain bleed. Mm -hmm. I've had four. Wow. And so you said one, one in 50 people have an AVM. And, and don't know right. it because I know it can, it can right. sit there silently for for many many years, right? Like oh, they're yeah. not always a problem, um, right? And so that's that's a staggering number, actually. Yeah, and and I will say, you know, one in fifty, it, an AVM isn't always in the brain. Uh, the brain is a problem because in your skull, that's a closed uh, place. So when there's mm-hmm. increased blood pressure. And a closed uh, uh, right uh, back or what have you, then it builds pressure and potentially kills you. Uh, if you have an AVM in your leg, all you get is a you know you you might have a, a bleed there, but it heals up and what have you. It's just in the brain where that's a problem. Mm-hmm. And had you been doing anything? I mean, did they? Um... Did they 
what am I trying to say? Was there an incident that led to yours being problematic or did it just happen? Like were you maybe exercising or doing something right beforehand? Well, at at the time when the first one bled, it was uh, 2000. I was a freshman at Auburn. Uh, I was watching a movie with my then girlfriend. Um, We didn't think anything of it. And then all of a sudden, I mean, I felt this tremendous pressure in my head. And, I mean, I I just stood up and staggered to the floor and then threw up. And forgive the explanation. (laughs) And and that was – they immediately took me – as I'm told, the East Alabama Medical Center, and then from there they determined I had a, uh, some type of brain issue, and then they took me up to UAB, which was uh, the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Mm. And, and I that's know, where they you know, that discovered, is a, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I know um, that is a common statement that I hear from folks who had a ruptured AVM is that it was like the worst headache they've ever had. Um, And so, you know, I know a lot of TBI survivors suffer from headaches, right? And um, there's always like this fear (laughs) that they're having something else happen, like a stroke or an aneurysm. Um, But I know that it's often described as just like the worst pain ever. Right. And and I don't I'm I'm not prone to having a lot of headaches. I mean, I had allergies and that was about mm-hmm. the worst it was. So when I felt this headache coming on and it kept getting worse and kept getting worse, it finally got to the point where I mean, I and I when I say I threw up, I mean, it just it was yeah. so uh so much pressure in my skull and that I've got two holes physically drilled into my head to relieve the pressure. Mm-hmm. I know I have a survivor friend, um, and she said that she had been having a persistent headache, and I don't remember if it was the left or the right side, but it was like the one side, and it was kind of like sort of above her eyes and like inside right. her head. And right. if she would have like, her daughter kept telling her, go get that looked at, go get that looked at. And who knows right. what doctors would have done. They may or may not have done an MRI right. or a CT. Um, right. But she ended up, um, hers ended up rupturing. And, um, right. you know, <laughs> but if if she would have heeded its warning and gone and had it checked out, um, potentially they could have found it and then gone in and clipped it. Um, and right. they did find that she had, after this one ruptured, they found she had three or four others that they also right. went in and coiled and clipped. Um, so is that right. what happened with you? You said you've had multiple brain bleeds. Um, did they right. find additional AVMs with you? Well, and, and in, two, in 2000, I guess the, the medical technology was less than we have now. And also right. at the University of Alabama in Birmingham, I mean, that was that's a great hospital um, as compared to like your local regional hospitals, but it still wasn't really the the premier of you know looking into AVM research and what have you. Right. And as a right. result, they they treat the the symptom. I said I was coming in with a headache, so they you know ticked through the list of things. And uh, even at the East Alabama Medical Center where they initially took me, they were like, "Well, is he drunk?" You know, because 
college town. Mm-hmm. But when they actually yeah, discovered yeah. what was happening, I was having a brain bleed. They did the best they could, and then they sent me to UAB, which was like three hours away. So, And in that time, just trying to figure out what it is and what is causing the issue, there was blood loss and there was uh, brain loss. And as a result, and I'll tell you, my right eye is pretty much worthless because I have lost vision in that. And they, many doctors have said that was probably as a result of leftover from the initial bleed that has caused me to lose vision and, and things like that. Yeah. And I believe now they're much more, um, like doctors are much more trained, especially emergency room doctors, on the yeah. signs of an AVM and a brain bleed. So, um, like you said, that was 24 years ago. Um, yep. And, you know, it's it's unfortunate, but I'm glad that we do have more. And I also feel like back then, I know we had MRI imaging, but, like, they weren't, like, nowadays they'll be like, well, let's get an MRI to make sure. Where back then they were yeah. a little more frugal, <laughs> and not yeah. every facility had an MRI machine. Where now most of your major hospitals have an MRI right on site. So um, right. it's amazing well, what and, 24 years does. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, and I'll say, and this is something I, I highlight in the book, the the I think a big difference could be if they had taken me to a research hospital rather than taking me to a local hospital. Not to say yeah. either one is better than the other. I mean, both are needed. But a, a local hospital has doctors and nurses that primarily do triage and cut your nick your nicks and bruises and breaks and bumps. Your research hospital, like Duke, like uh, UNC, like I don't know, I, you know, any number of uh, New York and NYU, they do research to figure out what's going on that's upcoming. And that's really what's so important for AVM because that's still upcoming. And as a result, mm-hmm. because it's upcoming, they, those doctors and nurses are trained to research what they find and then uh, in a collective treat that and then let the world know about it as well. Mm-hmm. So what are some things you have come to, to understand um, over your years of living with having a brain injury? Um, what are some of the things you have come to understand, whether it's, um, you know, doctors not understanding things or things that survivors that you wish you'd have known earlier on or that your your loved ones or caregivers would have known about. Right. Well, and if you don't mind, I, I want to read just a passage out of this book, just a one paragraph. It says, I've counseled some and I've parented my own children many times over. Mistakes are memories. These memories can become a legacy of God's faithfulness to us The point of living a legacy of learning is to use those memories to better the world around us, ourselves individually, and others. Furthermore, our concern is with the recovery of those memories. And I I really, and and I don't mean to be harsh, but we are all going to die, you know. Mm -hmm. But it's the question of what we're going to do between now 
and the day we die mm-hmm. that will live, live past us. And so really leaving a legacy and leaving the world as you have experienced it, and I think living, uh, leaving something for the next generation as well is so important. I mean, that's one purpose for the book, but it's really to understand that you are not just here for yourself, but those who come after. Yeah. And so I'm curious if you still have memory issues. Oh, unfortunately I do. Um, My wife can tell you if there's a a number (laughs) of times that I ask her, Hey, if we, did we take out the trash or did, uh, did we go to the, um, did we have dinner uh, two nights ago with so-and-so and we'll, you know, that's long, long uh, past. So I do, but I, one of the things I've learned from that, I actually use a, a uh, note, uh, it's, it's called Keep, Google Keep, um, as really to augment my memory issues because obviously I forget things and I forget things quite often. But if I write it down and keep, and keep is on my phone, and my phone is always with me, then I can be reminded and things like that. So it's really it's uh, a matter of learning and augmenting uh, my day-to-day with tools and tricks and abilities that otherwise I had not been aware of. Mm-hmm. And so tell us a little, you said you went to met your wife, you know, had this not happened. Um, so tell us a little bit about how you did meet your wife. Yeah. Well, um, and, and she'll get on to me if I get the, uh, the names and dates wrong, but I don't think she will. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 we met at uh, Dallas Baptist University. I was going there. I was offered a full ride scholarship through many, uh, uh, I believe, providential uh, appointments. But they offered me a full ride scholarship to go to Dallas Baptist University. I got just got out of the hospital and kind of gotten you know my walking and and talking back, gone through speech rehab, and then so I went to DBU. Uh, Leslie, my wife, uh, had been going to another school and she had kind of had some uh, problems there, and so she went actually uh, on scholarship to DBU. And we met, we were friends, uh, we had the same collective group that we hung out with, and then uh, at a, a, a dance or whatever they had, they said, you know, well, would you like to go as a, as a couple or as a, a, some friends? And so we said, okay, yeah, sure. And we ended up going, and uh, we ended up having a good time. And uh, so, of course, I asked her out uh, after that, and I said, hey, I would like to uh, – go on a date again with you and I would like to become an item. What she didn't know and understand was I had said to myself and to my roommates, I'm not going to date another girl until I find the one. So when we started dating, I I was basically saying this is the one. And she was a bit taken aback, but she was uh, wonderful and uh, she was a godly woman, and I had been married to her now. We just celebrated 20 years, and uh, she's an awesome, awesome uh, uh, help and asset and uh, obviously a friend and uh, mother. Hmm. And, Sina, so, you know, going back to your your first brain bleed, 
Um, so it was obviously mm-hmm. before you met Leslie. Um, but how right. long were you in the hospital? Like how long was your rehab? The uh, the summer of 2000, which I had gotten injured or it bled initially in the uh, late um, uh, winter, early uh, spring. Um, I was in that hospital at UAB, I believe, uh, for a month. They had to put me in a coma, uh, medically induced coma. They had to, I had to go through uh, rehab, like from the hospital bed, where they were teaching me to use my arms and limbs again. Uh, because they put me in that uh, coma, I had lost all feeling and sensation on my left side. And so I really, I, I had to learn how to walk again. And that took the better part of that summer of 2000. And then when they, when I did get back up to walking, I was walking with a cane or with a the four poster cane and then uh, ended up getting back to where I was using a walking cane. And then eventually I was back up to walking without a cane and I actually was able to go back to work and what have you for a time. But uh, yeah, that, that whole summer of 2000, uh, it was, it was awful. Uh, it was, I mean, I, the people, the men and women that were at uh, UAB did awesome. Nurse Bill, if he, I, I'm not even sure if he's still alive, but he was awesome. But it was, it was a incredibly difficult time. Yeah. Yeah, I can only imagine. And, I mean, you know, knowing how little they knew back then, too. Um, right. You know, I'm curious what, um, what advice, if any, they gave you when you were done with all your rehab. Well, it's kind of, I won't say, it wasn't wrong of them to say. They, would, they said what they believed. But in 2000, they said, all right, you're good. Uh, the rehab is done, and you should be good to go. Um, then three years later, I had another brain bleed. And mm. then uh, that was a minor brain bleed. But then in 2010, well, 2003, they said, okay, you're good. Good to go. And then in 2010, I bled again uh, from another AVM. Uh, and that one was not as bad of a bleed, but still. And then in to, at 2010, after that was all done, they said, okay, well, you're good to go. And guess what? In 2018, uh, uh, I bled again with a stroke. So needless to say, I've been a little bit more cautious about taking the doctor's advice yeah. that, hey, yeah, well, you're, you're, you're done. Uh, but, you're good to go. <laughs> you know, I, I, we, we eat, every single one of us has a certain number of days on the cert. And so it's not a matter of whether, you know, preventing death. It's a matter of living life. Right. And so that's, right. again, that's why, I, that's why I wrote the book, and that's why I am so adamant that, look, you, I'm not going to live my life afraid day to day of, death. I'm going to live life to its fullest, but I'm also going to make sure that I'm aware and that others are aware that there are things in this life that will stop you, but don't let them be the final stop. You know, and it's interesting because I hear from a lot of folks, whether it was a stroke or a car accident or whatever it was that caused the brain injury, and they leave the hospital, whether it's, you know, weeks or months later. And um, often the, the spouse or caregiver will ask, like, okay, so what's next? You know, they're being, they're being dis, um, discharged from the hospital. 
and like, okay, what do we do next? And like, oh, you're good. They live. Yeah. It's all good now. And it's like, well, that shouldn't be the end of the road. I feel like there is such a disservice being done. And just because that hospital doesn't have more to provide doesn't mean that there's not more to be done for that patient. Um, And, you know, they should at least be giving them some options and resources. And I get it. It's like this bureaucratic game that they're playing. Um, But it's, it's really frustrating for those families because, it's years until they realize, oh, there is more we can do. You know, they took they took yeah. their doctors at their word. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and if I may, that one of the things that I, I was not even aware of, I'm not medically trained or anything like that, but there is apparently a difference between a regional hospital, a local hospital, and a research hospital. Uh, you know, your your local hospitals, that's got very limited number of things that can be done for the patient, oftentimes they'll send you to a regional hospital, and it has more of a variety of items and and tools to help the patient. But then your research hospital, um, it's a a, a regional hospital, but it also has attached to it some doctors, nurses, and devices that are allowed to kind of push the envelope forward uh, for research into different diseases and what have you. And that was one reason why I opted to go with Duke or go to Duke rather than go back to UAB because I knew Duke had a number of doctors and resources to uh, kind of push the envelope a little bit further. And I, if I may, uh, Drs. Boyvere and Hoke uh, there at Duke actually prevented me from going through another brain surgery because they actually found through their AV, or, well, their AVM treatment and the angiogram that I actually didn't have another um, AVM, but it was scar tissue from a previous AVM. But if I had mm. gone to UAB, I would have been under the knife again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, it is. It's a complicated system, and if you don't know how to navigate it, it can be really frustrating. Um, Paul, we are just about out of time, and I just want to ask you um, one final question. If you have any words of wisdom, um, any final thoughts for our listeners today? I'll say this, and I'm not trying to be uh, offensive or uh, difficult or anything, but I will say, and I, I think I kind of alluded to it at the beginning, we all are going to die. Whether we're 18, whether we're 80, we're all going to die. So the question yeah, is... they're only guarantee in life. Right. How are we going to live? And I really strongly believe that our life should be lived to its fullest for the purpose of living for the next generation, to raise up better resources, better understanding. And if I may, I believe a relationship with Jesus Christ is the most important. He has gotten me through this. But irregardless or regardless of where you stand on that, find help because trying to do it on your – own, trying to do it by yourself, it often leads to failure and tragic failure. So 
really, I strongly encourage all to find help and find it, in my mind, in Jesus Christ. Well, Paul, thank you so much for being here today and sharing your journey with everyone. Yeah, absolutely. And if you will, uh, pick up the book, uh, Malformation, uh, When Bad Things Happen to the Right Kind of People. It's available on uh, Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, Westville Press, and others. All right. Thank you, Paul. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, Just a reminder, you can find all of our previous episodes on most streaming platforms, such as iTunes or Spotify, or directly at facesoftbi.com. With over 250 episodes, there's sure to be something for everyone. And you can support the podcast through buymeacoffee.com slash EZ. You can also follow me on Instagram at Amy Zellmer. And just I also invite you to join me in Amy's TBI Tribe on Facebook. Thank you for listening, and thank you for being a part of my journey. Have a great day, everyone, and I'll see you in the next episode.